Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk tech, computers, ad tech, games, all kinds of stuff, um, the list is as long as you're on. Um, so we're pumped to be with you from uh, various lounge rooms, dens, bedrooms uh, around the state. Um, Dan's in the studio uh, looking perky, which is great. Dan, you, you are behind the mic. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm well, apart from the whole neck issue that we were discussing just before we came on air. Um, I'm, I'm doing good. I, I have had an all right week in tech, I think. Remain you know, connected. You're not on a motorcycle, though, are you? I'm just imagining your like field of vision right now is about seventy degrees. Dude, there, there's no way that I'm getting on a motorbike with this neck problem right now. <laughs> I, like seriously, I will kill someone and then myself if I do that. Ro, Ro could put you in the sidecar and just take you home. Yeah, Ro, can we go for a ride? Yeah, slap you on the back. Yes, yes, <laughs> done. We've also got uh, Ro Murray uh, in the studio tonight, more or less. Ro, how are you doing? Yeah, really well, guys. How is everyone? Not bad, not bad, not bad. It's. I was waiting for the rain to chuck it down today, but it never really came. Oh. But someone just tweeted it started raining, so maybe it is going to come. Yeah, no, I, thought, I think it's going to be one of those late night ones. Uh, nice. I'm with you also. Uh, I'm Warren Davies. Um, we do love games on Byte, uh, as we mentioned uh, a minute or so ago. We especially love games that encourage positive change or, or get us to think differently, do differently, uh, challenge us a little bit. Um, so we'll be joined in a moment by Dr. Stefan Schutt, who is a senior lecturer uh, in learning design and ICT and digital at Latrobe University. And he's going to have a bit of a chat about Games for Change uh, Asia Pacific, which is coming up as part of the uh, Melbourne International Games Week, uh, which is great. Um, can you have a chat about that? Um, We've also been, uh, I guess, over the past few weeks, uh, having a look at the overreach of ad tech, um, uh, not just in Australia, but around the world. And if it is something that you worry about, uh, you can now put your citizen science hat on and have your say, um, which we do like doing here. Um, Mark Andrzejewicz of Monash University and also the ARC Centre of Excellence for Automated Decision Making and Society uh, joins us a bit later to have a chat about um, ad tech and what you can do about it. But... Um, before those things come along, um, there are a few bits of news to have a chat about. Um, firstly, Dan. Yeah. So um, we're on the ad tech theme, the uh, ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, has um, announced that they're a, a bit sick of uh, waving wet fish at uh, tech companies that have large monopolies in the ad space. Um basically saying they want um, competition laws to be made a little bit more robust so that they can hold Google to account for the more than 90% market share they have on um, ad impressions that have passed through Google in the last uh, in the last year since uh, at least one Google service in 2020. Um, look, it's I don't think it's any secret that uh, Google have, you know, an effective monopoly in this space. Uh, obviously, their algorithm has uh, made things good for them and you know all I, I don't know i I'm, I'm i'm personally would love to you see a larger uptake of other um search engines you know duck duck go is a, a personal favorite of mine um there's 
been the the ACCC have I suppose um, cited a couple of interesting stats in that. Um, they say that $2.8 billion was spent on open display advertising in Australia last year, um, around 42% of total display and about 30% of total digital advertising spend for the year. So that's you know, 30% of total digital advertising spend is kind of massive when you're talking about how much digital compared to other media. That's a lot Big. of sales, uh, tracks advance. Absolutely. Um, last year. Big business. It is. Um Another thing that will, uh, I guess, impact business is uh, vaccination certificates. We um, talked about it uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show. Um, There's an interesting story about, uh, I guess, the ramifications for our privacy. And um, uh, I guess there's a host of things, um, really. Um, so I guess from a implementation point of view for, for states and for um, uh, businesses, organisations, libraries, et cetera, et cetera, um, how do you uh, how do you police it? Um, what do you do about it? How, how comfortable can you feel about what people are showing you, et cetera? Um, it's a little bit unclear as to how it's going to be coordinated at a sort of state and, and local level. Um, but also, I guess, um, interestingly, the whole sort of download a PDF, carry around a PDF thing is quite strange uh, in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it, can you see a, a quick a quick fix for this one, or are we just gonna gonna have to roll with the solutions that we've already had for the pandemic and QR codes? Um, you know, quickly quickly designed off the shelf kind of um, services. I don't know why we're not looking more to overseas. You know, markets that are actually doing this already well and doing it already more effectively, like using you know verified blockchain type tools to push it through to your phone and, and other kind of things rather than download an easily editable PDF onto your phone. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's so much chatter coming out of the USA of people just handwriting or pirating their own vaccination certificates. Mm. And, you know, you can buy them on the dark web. You can do all sorts of palaver. So, you know, why don't we, you know, use existing fabulous technology that's already working elsewhere? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see um, what the wash-up is in terms of, uh, the, I suppose, the, the Victorian government and I suppose a disclaimer I do work for the Victorian government in my day job um, is looking at how the service Vic app will work or might speak to the directly to the, the Medicare kind of thing so maybe they might be able to put some security settings in there but we don't know how that's going to look at the moment so we'll have to watch this space yeah well, like up at the moment as well yeah mm. yeah well speaking of all things COVID-19 we do have some news that the rapid COVID-19 self-tests will soon be allowed in Australia so if you've ever been on TikTok and um watched a you know short video of a chick in a great party dress spitting into a handbag on the way to a party <laughs> that comes to Australia <laughs> True story. So the the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, is right in the middle of um, facilitating the approval of um, the rapid COVID-19 antigen tests. So if it all goes to plan, we could actually be able to test ourselves for COVID-19 at home as soon as 1st of November. So it's coming pretty quick. Um, basically how it works, it's really similar to the traditional COVID-19 test, but um, it can be turned around in about half an hour instead of days. Um, and it does involve the old nose swab and adding it to a chemical solution. Then you place that um, 
you know, chemically solutioned swab on a reactive piece of paper or device which returns a result. It is important to know they're not quite as accurate as, um, you know, the medically administered COVID test. So if you are, a, you know, a tier one or tier two contact or think you may have been exposed, go the traditional route. But if you've been isolating, if you haven't come in contact with anyone and just want to keep an eye out, these ones could be a bit of a goer. Well, we'll probably reach that level of boredom, right? You know, yeah, well, um, I'm just spin, exactly. spinning into a handbag. That sounds that sounds like a great way to spend your evening. <laughs> I, I saw a uh, pregnancy test in an ice cream, um, like an ice cream handle, um, the other the other day. The guy's just like eating his ice cream, and then he's like, "Whoa, okay, what is oh, it? yeah." Oh. So I'm just I'm just imagining the um, like uh, have a have a family like COVID jelly mold, like everybody kind of put their things in, and we'll kind of you know. Yeah. That is put their an absolutely in. horrifying thought, Warren. I love it. Yeah, no, yeah. There's, there's some images I'm never going to be able to unthink. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Um, well, doing a complete 180 degree turn away from um, noses and spit and um, family spit buckets, uh, Netflix has officially acquired Night School Studio as its first game studio. So Netflix has been open for a while about its intention to move into gaming. You know, we've discussed this on the show quite a bit. Um, and they have now officially announced today that they've brought the studio that brought you Oxblood, which is a really cool um, supernatural mystery game, and After Party, which is a bar-hopping comedy journey through hell. You have to out-drink Satan. Um, it hasn't quite been <laughs> announced what they're going to develop for Netflix or well, when it'll actually hit households. Um, but I thought it was a... <clears throat> really unique, fun uh, studio to align themselves with creatively. So very curious to see where they go. Do, do you have a, um, is there a point of view about which way they might go, sort of become like a Steam or a, um, does anyone know kind of what strategy they're keen on? Or? They haven't They haven't um, been particularly overt about what it's going to look like, um, but it, it does sound like it's very much going to be like the TV streaming where you have your account, you pay X amount of dollars and oh. you allocate your titles that you're going to watch and you go ahead and watch them. It sounds like it's going to be something similar, but they haven't explained the nuts and bolts yet. Gotcha. Mm. Mm. Bit, bit, it's a bit, bit more, uh, I suppose, back, back to earth. <laughs> <laughs> news with this one. This is actually something that's come out of the EU. Um, the European Commission has said that um, they're planning on standardising uh, charging ports for handheld devices, tablets, phones and oh, the like. Thank God. Yep. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's only been a good 15, 20 years since we've been asking for this and no surprises, Apple are annoyed, which always makes me happy. Um, they're, they're, they've kind of... Apple, Apple are t taking their standard line of, oh, it's going to kill innovation and we're not going to be able to do our cool stuff because we won't be able to, you know, charge people 30 bucks for a cable. Um, but, look, it's it's uh, a, a step in the right direction. I, I don't think that anyone really outside of Apple thinks it's a bad idea. And considering that the rest of the world seems to kind of follow on when the EU makes uh, laws in, in the tech space, look at the uh, GDPR, for example, I think it's probably something that, the, that everyone's going to kind of follow on with. Mm. And if anyone wants to be completely grossed out, go Google the EU um, TVC that they're running on this. It's absolutely revolting. Oh, Colin, give us a little bit of a description around it. Okay, considering we're in a global pandemic that's killing people, it's it's basically a scene in a restaurant where everyone is eating uh, soup off out of the same bowl, out of the same massive ladle, um, from mouth to mouth, person to person. There's soup everywhere. It is absolutely rank, and they go, 
Yay, one size is about to fit all. <laughs> I've never heard of a worse ad for something that I agree with in my life. It's quite something. <laughs> oh, man, that's filth. <laughs> Triple R. Warren. Games for Change uh, Asia Pacific is uh, actually doing something uh, pretty cool in uh, well about seven days' time, seven or eight days' time. Um, it's coming up as part of Melbourne International Games Week, and we're now joined on air by Dr. Stefan Schutt, who's Senior Lecturer in Learning Design, uh, ICT Digital at La Trobe University. Stefan's been deeply involved in this, and yeah, thanks for making time to have a chat to us tonight. No worries, really happy to be here. Uh, games for Change, what, 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 unpack that for us. What, is, what does that even mean? So I, I guess it's about um, games that have the potential to make a difference, positive difference to the world through um, uh, health or education or social progress or, you know, that, those kinds of things. So it's kind of reconfiguring games as something that can be a really um, useful and positive force for society rather than just being about entertainment. Um, yeah, so the, the, the Games for Change organisation goes back to 2004, so it was started in, in America and it's been this huge thing and there are, there are various chapters around the world. And so um, a group of us, and mainly led by Dal Linegar, really got um, Games for Change Asia-Pacific going this year. And this, so this is our first event coming up. Was there a precedent um, for, for this idea? I mean, I spent a lot of time running around GTA, like San Andreas, like stealing cars and lifting weights and stuff. They weren't many opportunities for me to be a good young man um, in terms of games. Um, what, what, what got this started or was it just a, it's the right thing, we, sh we should be doing good things, people like games, et cetera? Oh, people have been using games in all kinds of interesting and progressive ways for a long time. Um, and, you know, the Games, games to Change organisations have been sort of tracking that since the early 2000s. Um, so it's been, it, it's, it's been happening for a long time and I guess you know, even things like Minecraft have shown how uh, virtual environments can be used for education on a wider scale. So people are starting to really cotton, cotton onto that now. Um, yeah, it's uh, um, it's time has come, I think. And there's some um, amazing speakers. I, I did actually um, yeah, a few years ago work work with one of them, uh, Stephen Dupont. I was quite. I remember him quitting, quitting his job and going, oh, I've had enough of this. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to see this guy again. But here he is, he's back, um, and he's got an awesome game. But um, could, could you tell us about some of, the, some of the speakers who are going to be at this and some of the games that are going to be coming up? Yeah, so there's a bunch of amazing speakers. Um, probably the, the raw headline one, the keynote, is Noah Faustine, who was a chief game designer at Google for four years and he was the ex-head of the International Game Development Association in the 90s. So he's really into games for health now. So he's doing a keynote speaker uh, talk about that at the, I think it's on Tuesday when, when it starts. So that's pretty amazing. We've also got this a couple of incredible people who are looking at, um, it's, it's called software as a medical device. So using games to actually do detection of medical conditions. Uh, so we've got sound scouts from Sydney who are um, producing a, um, a hearing test app for kids, um, which apparently gives you better data for diagnosis than you get through audiologists. And that's in the form of a game that the kids play. And there's another group called Carly, Carly Detect who are making a series of apps for ADHD detecting detection and treatment. So um, 
um, they're talking about their, their detection app um, as well. So a bunch of stuff like that. We've got the Mahatma Gandhi Institute involved, which is a UNESCO-funded thing set up by the governments of India and Mauritius. Um, uh, yeah, all, all kinds of things. It sounds super exciting and um, like there's a whole lot of really incredible developments being made. In terms of um, what is being showcased at the festival itself, is it uh, very early development and in testing or are they apps and products that are either in market or about to go in market? How far along are we? It's the full gamut. Uh, there's over 100 video presentations, so it's they're all pre-recorded and go for about 10 minutes and there's live chat during during the sessions. And the, the, um, the presentations range from plans to do particular um, um, games and the, the kind of thinking behind them right through to talking about uh, research on games that have already been pr produced and, um, and are out there at the moment. Uh, and, you know, things like frameworks for evaluating games as well. So there's, there's a whole range of things on... Um, and also from all over the region, and that's a really important thing to mention, is that we were really conscious of um, Games for Change Asia-Pacific not just being about Australia, uh, because we happen to be based in Australia. So there's stuff there from Malaysia, Iran, the Philippines, Japan, Thailand, Singapore, um, which it caused a few logistical issues trying to get the timing right because of the time differences. Um, but we sort of managed to work through that. And so, yeah, it's a really rich and diverse uh, range of things that are on over the three days. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, outside of your own um, projects, is there anything that's really piqued your interest that you think is a bit of a one to watch? Um, well, I'm really interested in those ones that are looking at the use of games for health and how they can be used in really innovative ways, including the ones I've mentioned. There's also other ones that focus on on mental health and wellbeing, um, games where you uh, learn what it feels like to be someone with psychosis, for instance, um, uh, th those kinds of things. And and for me, because I'm an educator, I guess I, I'm interested in games, the potential of games to make a difference in education and, and how they can be used in various ways. So um, it's, yeah, virtual environments have been used in the healthcare field for a long time. So I'm particularly interested in how they can be used in, in education. And, and Stefan, you're, you're, you are speaking yourself uh, at, at, at the at the festival. Um, did yeah. you want did you want to give us a bit of a I suppose a, a breakdown on what it is you'll be discussing? Sure. So um, about a decade ago, I co-founded um, a thing called the Lab, which is uh, an after-school technology club for autistic kids. Um, so I co-founded that with Dale, who's also the guy behind the Games for Change Asia Pacific um, organisation. And so we started doing this thing after school. It proved to be really successful and it's grown to about 30 of these labs, or actually over 30 of these labs around Australia now. Um, but um, lately what's been interesting is uh, uh, the changes that have happened through COVID. So in 2016, we actually trialled um, an, an online version of the lab. And I think we were using Zoom before it was cool, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. Um, uh, looking at uh, engaging remote and regional kids who didn't have the chance to get to a face-to-face -face lab. And that kind of really saved us in a lot of ways now because now the lab online is booming um, and it's a really developed into a really engaging alternative to the face-to-face -face labs, which obviously can't take place in quite a lot of the country at the moment. So we're running about four of these sessions a week from Monday to, to Wednesday with mentors who work with young people 
after school to develop their own interests in games and technology and to 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 meet each other and you know make social contact and that kind of thing. So um yeah it's 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 been great and it's been especially great since Zoom developed breakout rooms because that allows a lot more different kinds of activity in smaller groups to happen. So I'll be talking about that basically. Is it is it um uh is it a funny um funny outcome of the pandemic that everybody's in these spaces now that kind of um, are advantageous to people who have some sort of um, challenges around access or, you know, mobility or, um, you know, yeah. coming into spaces. I, I mean, I've been, I've been working yeah. with someone where their, their, their online training thing was just kind of trickling along and then a pandemic hit and it's just gone absolutely gangbusters because what we can do is hang out online. Have you seen much of that? Yeah, well, it's happened everywhere. I mean, obviously, where I work at the uni, we do everything online now. Like, I've, I've run three tutorials online today. Um, and there's, you know, it's it's kind of taken people uh, – I think there was always that sense of a divide between the online world and, and, you know, the, quote, real world. And it's forced a lot of people who maybe hadn't had seen that as a big divide to kind of bridge that gap. And um, a lot of people are starting to really realise the potential – for this kind of online contact, not just as a sort of poor substitute, but as something that offers benefits in other ways. Um, we, we actually had a PhD student who did her uh, doctorate on the lab and she was, um, one of her things was how this kind of mediated online way of communicating is actually better for some young people than face-to-face because they're not judged the way that you are when you're face-to-face. Um, and they feel more comfortable having that kind of, um, that control over their their interactions with other people um so there's there's um you know it's it's a new world and it's an ongoing and developing world that keeps changing and i think we we're just at the beginning of it now but it's really covid's really kind of kick-started that change further do you, do you imagine a situation where um i mean it may have already happened you will see a, a breakout game where i think from what you've described people are talking about sort of underserved or sort of under-considered spaces and interactions, things that, you know, yeah. games don't really build for or, or consider um, yeah. that are kind of created for a, a really um, uh, sort of um, thirsty niche, but then everyone just goes, you know what, that's broadly applicable to people of, you know, all backgrounds, all abilities, you know, um, all Wi-Fi networks, et cetera. Has there been a kind of breakout game idea or, or do you think it's going to come, whether it's from Australia or somewhere else? Um, I'm not quite sure what you mean by a breakout game idea. Though. Um, so, and, and you dropped my side, so sorry about that. No, so I think I think something that we all pay thirty bucks for um, on Nintendo. Um, I'm not aware of something like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's, if it's uh, you know around the corner. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so if people are interested in, um, I guess, coming along to it or, or joining in, um, I, I guess obviously access is going to be pretty easy and we've got, yeah. our, you know, we're all sitting on our couch ready to do something. So what, what would you recommend for people who either haven't come to Games Week or are really interested in sort of what you're talking about? What, what can they do? Sure. So it, I, I should have said this before, it's totally free and totally virtual to, to uh, sign up and take part in the sessions and games for change next week. Um, it's from Tuesday to Thursday um, next week, and it's um, uh, 
if you go to apacapac.gamesforchange.org, uh, that will take you to the, the sort of splash page where you get to the um, – it uses a conference system called, called Hop-In. Um, but it, if you just Google, you know, Games for Change, Asia Pacific, it will come up. And what's like what's a what's a good thing to do? Like, um, what would you encourage people to do if they're you know a, a novice at games or a novice at kind of I guess more specific games in this way? Um, what would you suggest? Uh, you mean in terms of going to the sessions next yeah, week? Yeah, yeah. What, what should we do? Like, what's what's good? Oh well, they they they're um there's a whole range of them. Um, there's the keynotes and things are on 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 the Tuesday, and then there's a whole series of sessions on Wednesday and Thursday. There's three different streams. There's a social change one, uh, which has got some really interesting things about behaviour change in it and, and um, in, in working with Indigenous communities, that kind of thing. There's a health stream and there's a learning stream, which has the more education-based stuff in it. So uh, you can choose from any of those streams and, and join any of those sessions. They're all pre-recorded 10-minute videos, so and they only go for 10 minutes. The, the timing's pretty tight. So if you don't if you're not engaged by something, just wait a few minutes for, for the next one. So, um, sounds like a great plan for a, for a couple of days next week. Um, yeah. Stefan, thank you so much for your time. We've been speaking to uh, Dr. Stefan Schutt, for our Senior Lecturer in Learning Design, ICT Digital at La Trobe University about next week's Games for Change Asia-Pacific Festival. Uh, Stefan, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great to be here. Absolutely. Triple R. Uh, Warren, you're yes, on mute. Warren's, <laughs> Warren's on mute, but um, I'll quickly jump in. Um, so uh, this evening we're going to be talking to uh, Mark Andreevich from Monash University all about dark ads. Um, so we'll get Mark to unmute himself. Beautiful. Um, so uh, all of us are really familiar with the concept of getting served up targeted ads, whether we're on YouTube or Facebook or wherever. Um, but we need to peel a few layers back. So welcome to the show, Mark. It's great to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be back with you. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. So um, you're part of um, the Australian Ad Observatory Project. Um, can you tell us a little bit uh, for our listeners at home what it is? Yeah, th so this is a project that really relies on participation from the public. What we've done is we've created a tool in collaboration with some other researchers who've been doing this elsewhere in the world, including some folks at New York University who have an ad observatory there. Um, what that tool does is it's a browser extension. You install that extension uh, on your web browser. And if you use Facebook, when you go to Facebook, what it'll do is it'll just collect the ads that appear in your newsfeed. No other information, none of your personal tweets or, uh, sorry, posts or anything from your friends. Um, it just, just what is marked as sponsored content. Uh, and then it sends it to us. And when you sign up, you provide some basic demographic information about yourself. And that allows us to see how ads are being targeted to different demographic groups across Australia, because we know that the media system that we've created for ourselves, this, this kind of free commercial platforms, um, rely on collecting detailed information about users in order to target ads to them. And those ads are very different from the ads that we encountered in the mass media era because we don't see the ads that other people are seeing. We access these on our personal devices um, and we get 
uh, ads that are automatically targeted to us and often customized to us. Uh, and those ads aren't available for public scrutiny, and that can lead to all kinds of pathological outcomes. So um, we've been pushing really hard, uh, among with many others, uh, to argue that we really need transparency. It's it's going to be impossible for us to provide full transparency. Only Facebook and Google have that data. But we need to get a conversation started about why we need transparency, and that's why we've embarked on this project. For sure. So um, part of the research, um, you know, impact that came out on your press release, you know, talked about uh, women seeing more health, wellness and clothing ads. Uh, men were three times more likely to see a finance or technology ad and business ads. There was a skew of alcohol ads to male users. Gambling ads were overwhelmingly received by men, those kind of things. Um does this also, is this going to lean into the political sphere and a lot of the disinformation that's lurking around, you know, outside yes. those consumer products? You, you've Yes, thank you. And you've described what we found in a, a pilot version of the study that we did. And this was a relatively small sample. So it was just 130 people. Um, what we're doing now is we're launching this at a nationwide scale. So anybody who's interested in participating can install this extension. And that'll give us a much broader, more detailed look at how um, ads are are being delivered. And as you pointed out, one of the things that we found just in this in the small uh, sample study, the pilot study, is that, um, you know, forms of stereotyping uh, around in particular gender, because we have the most robust numbers on that, uh, continue unabated online. But we also know that all kinds of um, really, uh, you know, antisocial activities can take place based on this kind of targeted advertising. So, uh, and sometimes illegal. Um, in the US, for example, Facebook had to pay a settlement for making it possible to uh, target advertising for housing, credit, jobs by uh, race, gender, age. Those are uh, those are protected categories. You're not allowed to target advertising uh, on that basis. And, and while well, we don't have the data to know whether that type of targeting actually did take place, but it, just the very fact that it's possible to take place is uh, an area of huge social concern. And as you suggest, ads that have misinformation or false information, um, if, th if those get circulated, it's very hard to see that that's happening because we don't have visibility into who's receiving ads. In the, in the mass media era, we could see the ads if they appeared on TV or in print and um, members of the public, media watchdogs, regulators could point out and say, look, this is false information. This is uh, in uh, violation of, uh, in some cases, uh, legal restrictions, certainly the terms of uh, the policies of some of these media outlets. But if you can't see the ads, you can't provide that accountability. Uh, and that's the thing that really worries us about this ad environment. And as we know, online ads are kind of taking over the advertising sphere. More and more um, companies and uh, advertisers are relying on online platforms to to uh, reach customers. But it's a very different environment, and we uh, it's it's time that we found ways to provide more social accountability. I think, without a doubt, the things that we fear are happening. Um, I would also be interested to know if, I mean, I'm really speculating here, what if the outcome is this really benign kind of thing that sad people get targeted with chocolate, people who are overworked get targeted with holidays to Bali, 
you know, what if what if there's this kind of like natural kind of equilibrium where people who respond best to something are more often targeted for something? So, you know, worst case scenario for, for you, like it's all very boring. What, what are the chances of something like that? <laughs> um, I mean, all very boring would be a great outcome. We could kind of go... <laughs> society is working, people aren't taking advantage of uh, the fact that they can serve ads covertly. Um, unfortunately, we already know that uh, there are cases where forms of advertising are taking place that have uh, detrimental social consequences. Um, it was really interesting after the uh, insurrection, the attack on the Capitol in, in uh, the US, they found out that people who were posting about this were actually being targeted with advertising for military gear. Uh, so um, th that, from an advertiser perspective, probably is they're reaching their right audience. Right, They're trying to find people who want to buy tactical gear. Um, from a societal perspective, to advertise tactical gear to people who are interested in violent attacks on democracy is mm. not a good outcome. Um, we also... Uh, we know that during the 2016 presidential election in the U.S., political ads were used to target African-American voters in swing districts, specifically designed to suppress voter turnout. And uh, this was among African-Americans. And the concern there is those people didn't realize they were being targeted because when you receive this ad, you don't know who else is getting it. So you can't see the pattern. But but that ability to kind of covertly target particular groups for voter suppression in the U.S., of course, where voting isn't compulsory, that's anti-social and anti-democratic. So we already have some evidence that these practices are taking place. We, we know that Facebook a while back in Australia, um, it, they leaked some information that they were uh, telling advertisers that they could identify when teens were feeling um, depressed. Uh, and the very fact to, to advertisers suggests that that's information they thought might be useful to, to target ads. And, you know, maybe there's their pro-social potential benefits uh, for that. But there are also real concerns if advertisers are trying to target people at vulnerable moments with manipulative appeals. Um, so, uh, we don't know what we're going to find. Uh, best case outcome for society would be that we find out there's nothing really of concern here. But it would be good to know because uh, without this type of accountability, we just have to guess and we have to take Facebook's word for it. And uh, past experience suggests Facebook's word is not good. <laughs> Do you think there's a chance that um, we can just apply some some blunt tools to this, such as um, regulations for different types of accounts. So for, for advertisers of commercial goods like, you know, insurance or this or that, broadly speaking, you know, this is the thing that you get to play with. But for things like political advertising or for some of the things where there are societal concerns, there are different types of restrictions that we put on the front end of this. I, I guess the, the ideal situation is we can influence the very design and, and intent of these services, but that's probably a much harder ask. Um, I don't know. It's a little bit yeah, off. What, what do you think about that? No, th there have been some really interesting proposals uh, in, in that area. So, you know, one of them has been to restrict targeting to uh, uh, not being able to target at a higher resolution than postcode, for example. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that that probably wouldn't have stopped the voter suppression uh, activities that were taking place in in the U.S. But it, it does prevent a, a kind of the multiplication of highly 
granular detailed ads at a very individual level. Um, here's the issue with any type of regulation, though. You, unless you've got visibility into which ads are being served to whom when, you, you don't really know um, if, uh, you know, whether or not those regulations are being followed. That's, you know, that's the, uh, again, you know, with newspapers and magazines, you can see. But those ads on Facebook, they generate tens of thousands of them, you know, in very short period of time. They're very ephemeral. They get shown, you know, maybe to a few people for a day. Then they disappear, get displaced by something else. So keeping track of that, you know, requires record keeping that all of the ads that are served have to be available in some form of a database so that we can go and take a look and see see what they've been doing. Otherwise, it's hard to tell whether they've even been following whatever blunt instrument um, rules we put in place. Mm. Um, and, and, and what do you see as kind of the outcome of, of things like this? I mean, I, yeah, even the, the first news item that we had on the show was about the ACCC kind of like shaking its fist at, at, at Google. What kinds of things, I mean, you know, we're not asking you to change the world off the back of a, a citizen science project, but if, if there are dozens of these things going on around the world, what, what, what kind of change should we be hoping for? Sell it, sell it to the people out there who want to kind of put their white, white <laughs> on and have a go. I mean, I, I, I think the first, you know, big change that we would be looking for is regulation that requires uh, a really workable ad library for platforms like Facebook and Google so that uh, accountability organizations and regulators uh, can take a look at what ads they've been serving to whom. And uh, Facebook does have an ad library, but... Um, it's it's not complete uh, and it changes. You know, when an ad disappears off of Facebook, when they're not using it anymore, those ads disappear off of their ad library after a while. And it's and so unless you're looking at the time to see what ads are being served, you lose visibility into what they're doing. So, you know, I, I think that for, it, it's it would be a lot of data, but it would. But as a very first step, it's um, look you guys are shaping our information world. You're making it possible to advertise in, to people in ways that were never possible before in history. You know, you couldn't target hundreds of thousands of people each individually by delivering them, you know, a separate, completely fully crafted ad. You can do that online. So we don't, socially, we haven't really adjusted to the huge change in the in the ecosystem. And I think that that first relatively simple step, although the companies will say it's not that simple, <laughs> is to just provide visibility. Every ad you serve, keep a record of it. Uh, it's gonna require huge resources to process that, but at least it's there, you know, we can look at it and see who, and, and see um, uh, how it's been, what the patterns of how it's been delivered are. Mark, don't do anything until I get to send that one ad to Scott Morrison, at least for the next few weeks um, <laughs> while, while he's over in the UK. Um, I'll just a few dollars, um, I'll, I'll get on it. Mark, it's it's a really valuable uh, thing that you're doing. Um, how can people get involved? Yes, thank you. So uh, you can actually go and install the browser tool now if you want to participate and help out. Uh, and to do that, you would just go to, I'm uh, just getting the link up here. It would be uh, ADMS. Sorry, I've just got to find my chat. Uh, is it uh, admscenter.org.au slash adobservatory? Would that be the one? Yes, that's the one. We'll, we'll and I'm sure we can tweet <laughs> we will it out tweet from out our Twitter account tonight as well so yeah. people can find it. Absolutely. That, that would be great if, if you would. Um, mm. And if, if you want to see 
um, uh, some of the discussion of this in the launch, there is a, uh, f we're actually going to be doing a public panel about this on Friday. So anybody that's open to the public. And if you go to ADMS, sorry, www.admscenter.org and you go to events on that site, it'll give you information about how to attend uh, that symposium. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. Go, go on, Mike. No, no, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> def definitely worth uh, heading along if, if you've got some time on Friday to check that out. Um, we've been speaking with Mark Andreevich from Monash University on the Australian Observatory Project. Mark, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for your interest. I appreciate it. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Warren. Um, yeah, we do have uh, a little bit left in the show, um, but we do have some weird stuff, opportunities and whatnot to, to get to. Um, Ro, I did throw in the thing about um, uh, the koalas because I do love a koala. Um, did you want to mention this briefly? Absolutely would love to mention this. So, um well, some great stuff is afoot when it comes to using genome data and drones to save the koalas. So the University of Sydney is currently using drones and facial recognition to count, identify and then re-identify our furry little marsupial friends and basically create a koala genome library. Um, so this work has been going on for a little while, but the, the big issue has been what do you do with the data once you've got it? Um, the recent news is that this library has recently been supported um, by Amazon Web Services. And what this will actually do is uh, broaden the whole scope, make it more publicly available, and it'll essentially democratise um, the koalas. So um, in the research data, allowing the UCID team to actually work with scientists and conservationists all around the world to share their research insights, findings, and also apply solutions faster. Um, it's really cool. This project has the backing from both the federal government and the New South Wales government as part of its goal to double koala numbers by 2050. Um, there's other similar projects going around, like there's um, another drone facial recognition one going on in Queensland around koala number bushfire recovery. So this is just one of those great little things where it's like using some very cool technology to keep our furry friends safe up in their trees. Um, it's a, it's a, uh, there is something that uh, we can do to keep an eye on them. Um, if you've wanted, if you're one of those camera people, there are lots of camera people out there who love a camera and everything. I, I'm not, but I, I do. I'm always impressed when I get to someone's home and they're like, we're watching that sugar canister for some reason. Um, <laughs> Amazon have uh, rigged you up with um, a thing called Ring. Um, it's interesting. They they pitched this idea ring um, uh, a year or two back, where they said you've got a lot of cameras in your home. It's a bit of a mess. You know, it's hard to keep track of them. You have to keep replacing them. Let's just have one to rule them all. Um, and that, that just occurred to me now. But the, uh, <laughs> the drone, the drone, the drone lifts off from your from your uh, coffee table or what have you, and then patrols the house um, with its camera. So you can just get a shot of like, hey, here's the kids, put that on Instagram. Hey, um, you know, here's my, you know, um, case of weapons. You know, this is happening in America, obviously. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's about 300 bucks. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Would you like to throw out all of your in-home cameras 
and replace it with the drone, Rodan? Absolutely not. I, I, I cannot think of anything worse than an autonomous floating camera <laughs> going around my house and just snapping stuff. Seriously. <laughs> like, I mean, look, Amazon have, like, this is one of many terrifying announcements that Amazon have made at their, uh, like, you know, annual <laughs> device surveillance culture. I really bloody dig it. Announced. No, not a chance. Not an not a chance. In You're going to get hit in the head with this thing. Pictures of, pictures of the, the, the lab door open and me kind of like diving for it, trying to shut it, going, hey, we've got a couple <laughs> Well, that, that's exactly it. Like you, you, you're in the shower and like, you know, the, the door's slightly <laughs> ajar and you know, the kids push their head, like push the door open and then the, the drone follows in. No, absolutely yeah, not. Sh- absolutely G'day. not. <laughs> I'm, I'm just disappointed that the Mighty Bush ended and this started roughly five years apart because I reckon <laughs> this would have been great in one of those episodes. Yeah, but, look. Um, no, anyway, I've, 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 I've got some more heartwarming uh, camera news, I guess. Um, there are some <laughs> seriously amazing images that have come back from the uh, Hubble Space Telescope. Um, so, yeah, if you, if, you, if you jump online and just, you know, Google Hubble images, there are some amazing shots of, you know, the stuff that Hubble was sent up there to look at. And also, I did read an article earlier today, um, the, the, the big red spot on Jupiter is changing shape. Uh, that is that, that's something to, that's something to keep an eye on. It's uh, it's getting it's it's been around for about 150 Earth years, and it's um, it's it's getting a bit smaller and a little bit uh, rounder. So um, I suppose in 150 years, so there's, we'll we'll see what happens there. Row. Awesome stuff. Well, I am very very excited to share that Fat Bear Week is about to start. For those who haven't heard of it, Fat Bear Week is a single elimination tournament running from September 29 to October 5th, so it kicks off nighttime our time, and it's all about the fat brown bears in the Katmai National Park and Preserve that are getting all salmon chonky for their winter hibernation. Basically, the last two beefy contenders battle in the finals on the internet, not in real life, hopefully, for the title of the fattest bear on Fat Bear Tuesday. Um, basically, Fat Bear Week features real salmon-packed bear chonkers, and because it's a completely online tournament, you can actually vote and follow the action. We'll tweet out the link. So the reason this is on a tech show, the tech isn't all that fancy, but it is warm and fuzzy and delightful. Um, you can follow the hashtags Fat Bear Week hashtag bear cam if you read gizmodo australia they've posted their top five predictions for the season and you can go on the official cat my fat bear week website and vote for which you think is the fattest bear um you know last year one of the contenders got so fat his tummy got stuck on a rock and he had to fall backwards down a hill to free himself and if that's not salmon goals i don't know what is there's also a fat bear week game that is free to download at teamfatbears.itch.io so please watch out for the fat bears that's um, that's more than I could have hoped for <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of the most delightful things that happens every year and I love it so much we've got, we've, we've got, a, got a couple of other opportunities in addition to fat bears um, Melbourne International Games Week is coming up um, running from the 2nd to the 10th of October it features uh, online no surprises there conferences workshops events and activities for the games industry enthusiasts educators and the public uh, if you head to their website and check it out there are heaps of ways to attend events including VR augmented reality uh, live streams all sorts of things uh, head to gamesweek.melbourne and find out more uh, thank you very much to our guest tonight, uh, Stefan, Mark. That was awesome. Uh, Rowan Dan, amazing. 
and uh, Elizabeth McCarthy, uh, thank you very much for your help behind the scenes. We've been right into it. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.